0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 174 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined today by Chris Coughlin as we reflect on Liverpool's 4-3 win over Fulham.
1: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
0: So I don't think anyone anticipated it to be this manic at home to Fulham at 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Liverpool have come out on top in a seven-goal thriller. The scoring was opened by the back of Ben Leno, as it turned out, we thought Trent Alexander arnold had scored a sort of wondrous free kick, and to be fair, it was a almost perfect effort from him, but it did need the touch from the goalkeeper um, to go into the net, so it goes down as an own goal for Leno. But Fulham hit back quickly, Harry Wilson, the former Liverpool player, just four minutes later, made it 1-1. Alexis McAllister scored his first goal for Liverpool in the 38th minute, and it's Definitely going to go down as a goal of the season contender. Absolutely outrageous strike from him. But Liverpool couldn't hold the lead until halftime as Kenny Tete made it 2-2 in the 48th minute. And then it stayed that scoreline until the final 10 minutes when things really got dramatic. Bobby Reed scored for Fulham, and all of a sudden you're looking at Liverpool suffering a very rare home defeat, certainly in front of supporters, but then in this incredible late turnaround for the Reds with Wattaro Endo and Trent Alexander-Arnold scoring two goals in two minutes to give the Reds victory. And out of absolutely nothing, um, it's ended up as an iconic Jürgen Klopp game, really. So a lot to digest, as you can tell by the fact that I was recapping the match for what felt like about 10 10 minutes there. But we'll begin with the three red match reviews as usual, Chris, and your thoughts on that Liverpool performance as a whole because the phrase mixed bag has probably never applied as much as it does today.
1: Definitely. Evening, Dave. Three-word review. The trench Show. I think it's, for me, yeah, I know we're going to touch on him more in depth, but just a brilliant display all around. He um, very much suits those predator, those predator boots. Absolutely. Suits them down to a T. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you... I think you really did sum it up where no one, I didn't expect it to be like that. Um, Fulham until last Monday had really kind of struggled to score goals overall this season. Then they get three against Wolves, including two penalties, and another, and another three today. And I don't think it's been disrespectful to say you just didn't think it to be like that. But when you see the stats, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be like that. But Fulham really did. Focus on weaknesses um, in, in Liverpool uh, or Liverpool's uh, style, Liverpool's play. Uh, they utilised the flanks well. Um, that's where the goals really came from. Um, the first one from uh, their left hand side, and again with the corner kick leading to the second. And again, they utilised the, the width um, again on the, the left hand side going forward to, uh, to, to unpick the um, defence with the Bobby Reid goal. But yet again, you're seeing this team, this squad with different personnel, but have the same mentality. I've heard Pep Linders talk about it a lot, just saying about how crucial it is. If you're going to play for Liverpool, you have to have that mentality. And it just runs through the squad as a whole. And it, I think there was the feeling that after Endo's equaliser, there was the feeling that they weren't finished, that there was at least going to be one more chance. And by the way, it's a half chance. But if you want a half chance to fall to someone with a real striking ability, there aren't many better than Trans Alexander-Arnold for that ball to fall to at such a crucial moment. So, of course, with the late game as well, with City drawing 3-3 against Tottenham, full credit to Spurs for the way they went to the Etihad and took the game to City, which I think we all want to see more teams do because there are fragilities there. And Liverpool move up to second and it's been a very successful Sunday.
0: Yeah, this is a day where it's really ebbed and flowed, to be honest. I mean, we could have been looking at a scenario where things don't go Liverpool's way today. Then, you know, they they could be behind Manchester City by by a few points in the table. Because obviously City, you know, looked like they were going to win when, when they scored reasonably late on in that match to make it 3-2. And obviously Liverpool were staring down the barrel a bit. So things the pendulum has sort of swung back and forth as, as the day has gone on, really. And I think, you know, I alluded to it earlier. I think I predicted it a a 2 0 Liverpool win in this game. And I just thought it was going to be a bit of a sleepy Sunday match, to be honest. Like, I watched Fulham against Wolves on Monday, that game that you mentioned, Chris. And, you know, they they were a little bit fortunate to win. I mean, some of the refereeing decisions, obviously, you know, Gary O'Neill was furious about those. And you just weren't sort of watching it and you didn't really see anything. That worried you, you know, knowing that you were playing Fulham next game. And, To be fair, even when the lineup came out, I was thinking to myself, realistically, Liverpool should be winning this game comfortably, to be honest. Um, And then, obviously, as it turned out, it it was anything but. And I think, obviously, you want more in terms of a team with Liverpool's aspirations, you know, should have more control of a game like this. But I suppose, on the other hand, you could say that Fulham, this is a team who who went to the Emirates, picked up a red card and still got a 2-2 draw. So I don't know if there's something... I awkward about them as a, an opponent. I mean, Liverpool have certainly found them awkward recently. I mean, last season we saw, obviously, the draw on the opening day. Liverpool barely got past them in the reverse fixture. And then a couple of years before that, when Fulham were previously in the Premier League, even though they went went down, they got a draw with Liverpool at Craven Cottage. I think they beat them at, at Anfield as well in that sort of stretch of defeat. So it was sort of threatening to become a bogey team. And then I was thinking that as I was watching it today, but obviously in the end, Liverpool were able to to get the three points, um, just about. And it was a very bizarre first half, really, because Liverpool scored two of, of the best goals you'll see them score all season, to be honest. And in, in McAllister's case, the best you'll see any Premier League player score all season, really. I think probably up there with that uh, gonacho goal last week in terms of the quality of it.
1: It's the best goal scored by an Argentine playing on Merseyside on a Sunday this season.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we could say that with um with full certainty um but um yeah and then obviously Fulham you know pegging Liverpool back and I think you know they were making the point in uh, in commentary that it was sort of like it was weird because you had goals at one end which was sort of i mean the, to be fair the Wilson goal was was well executed and Fulham but almost the contrast in how the two teams were breaking each other down w- was really pronounced and then in the second half I think Liverpool started quite well um and obviously they were creating chance and, they, and there was this sort of spells in the game where they were playing at sort of a really furious tempo and, and that felt like it suited them and that they were going to find the breakthrough but then the game just started to get into this drift this malaise and that's the kind of scenario where you worry that things can go against you and then obviously Reed um gets the goal and Sort of reminders of that leeds match last season where liverpool were really toiling to try and get the goal to go ahead and ended up getting stung at the end and obviously losing and um, but this time and though i mean obviously that probably the focus will be on the first two goals and the winner but that in itself was an absolutely spectacular goal from him um and then trent alexander arnold with the winner um and sparking some really memorable scenes at anfield as well um When the third goal actually went in at Liverpool's third, I I didn't really celebrate because I thought to myself, you know, I don't really want to get too carried away over a draw with Fulham, to be honest. Um, But certainly when the next goal went in, um, it was a different story. But um, just before we come on to Trent, because obviously you want to talk about him specifically, but why do you think Liverpool struggled um, in this match today, Chris? I mean, what was it about what Fulham did or what Liverpool didn't do that made it so unexpectedly awkward for them?
1: I think in the same way that I said about when a team goes to the Etihad and takes it to City, they can struggle and they can show weaknesses. I think it's the same kind of thing for Liverpool at times, in that Liverpool have a phenomenal home record, and I'm not for one saying this is because teams give it easy against Liverpool. They just don't. Liverpool have to break every single team down. But sometimes you feel maybe that when you go to a place like Anfield, you can't do that much. But Fulham today definitely gave it a go. They thought, we're not just going to sit back and let Liverpool have the three points. We're actually going to go and, and try and play a game of football here. and They did that very well. There were some decent breaks as well that they didn't really get opportunities from. I think in the second half, they started the second half quite stop-start trying to break the rhythm. But then they actually started to have a go. And that's where some opportunities came for Nunez uh, as well. Um, and so Liverpool actually played a bit of an open game at times in the second half. But I think that was them going, right, let's actually have a go here. And I think that's when you see the outcome. Maybe that's why teams don't do it. Because they're afraid, really. But I think Liverpool were taken a bit by surprise in that regard, but again it just shows how well the the whole squad did to adapt to the whole situation and yeah, it's annoying in that having to score worldies combined with conceiving sloppy goals but that's what Liverpool had to do today and, and ultimately they, they went out and did it
0: Yeah, I suppose the story of today is, you know on the one hand, worrying things in the performance, maybe things that other teams might be able to exploit, but also that's kind of overshadowed by the resilience that the team showed and the lift that they'll get from winning in those circumstances. I, I sort of just couldn't help but make the comparison myself between the game last season where Arsenal, I think they were playing Bour- Bournemouth and they won 3-2. Yeah. Um, yeah, last minute, yeah, I think that was like the 97th minute, so it's not you know the exact same, but in terms of the level of drama. Because were Arsenal losing that game at the end? Or? 2-0. Yeah, they were, so they were 2-0 down. And then they came back, didn't they? And then I think it was Nelson scored in the 97th minute. And it just felt like the kind of emotions in the stadium were sort of a little bit similar to that. Obviously, I think there was talk about Arsenal getting carried away at times and they didn't go on to win the league in the end. But certainly it's kind of a dramatic, um, significant victory in the course of a season. It just gave me those vibes. Um, And Obviously, the celebrations at the end um, with all the players. as well, kind of speaks to that. But um, let's talk about the man who sparked all those celebrations, then Trent Alexander Arnold. I mean, I think he's just in this past week the goal against City, the assist for Gakpo um, as a substitute in the Europa League, and then obviously his contribution today. I mean, he's really sort of stepped stepped up to sort of ten out of ten form, you'd have to say. And, and I mean, the technique that he shows for, for both of, of the goals that he he got today, although obviously the first one with the deflection off Leno was absolutely outrageous, wasn't it, Chris?
1: Oh, yeah. It was a wonderful strike. As I've said, he puts on the Predators and he's become Prime Stephen Gerrard with some of his technique, his drive. We're seeing as well that maybe Klopp isn't, maybe he's not admitting defeat to this as such. But he's certainly a lot more willing than he was to push Alexander-Arnold further forward. And we're seeing that reap reap rewards now, if I can get my words out. Because the goal against City doesn't come if he's playing in his pivot role. The second goal today doesn't come if he's playing in his pivot role. Um, I think the assist for Gakpo may still have come if he was playing that role just because the game was so... It was over at that point. He could just venture forward But again, he's so talented in just so many ways. And the media in this country for too long has focused on what he can't do. And it's really time to focus on what he can do because he's a generational talent. And if you're looking at going forward, what he can do in terms of English players, you know, in, in that role, because I'm going to put the likes of Saka and Kane to one side, as in, you know, they're in a world of their own. In terms of his, in terms of if you were to play him in that central role, is it only Bellingham really can really out better his output of English players right now? You can argue Foden if he plays in the central role, but he tends to drift out wide, and he's just. It, it feels like he's maturing. It feels like it feels like he's in his. If he's not in his prime, at least getting towards it. Because I just think he's game on game. You're you're seeing an improving technique. You're seeing an improving leadership. You're just seeing so many things that make Trent Alexander-Arnold one of the world's best. And you're seeing that bit of arrogance with him. And I love it. I love it when players know they're good he's had he, he he'll have seen so much said against him of course he will but he's rising above all of that and showing everybody what he can do and he's saying look i don't care what i can't do because i know what i can and what i can do is win games like that deliver set pieces provide assists and he's a living legend at the football club already that that's important to remember like he is Legend, not will he go down as one, he is one, and he'll only go on and, and do you know, he'll achieve so much of the club as well. I'm saying all of this in the back of my mind, knowing he's only got one year left of his contract after the summer, and I'm really hoping that gets sorted sooner rather than later. Um, and I'm sure he will, I'm, I, I'm really confident that it will. Um, but yeah, he, he deserves to have all the praise in the world right now because. I just think he's he's at that stage where he just just feels on a different
0: level. Yeah, I think this is someone who's going to go down as as one of the greatest Liverpool players of all time. Um, to be fair, and you know we know that he's been made the vice captain. Um, Van Dijk is obviously still a captain. I think he's 32. We don't know sort of how many more years he's going to be sticking around for, but it certainly feels like at a point, you know, Trent's going to be the one with that armband full time and he's having sort of captaincy moments. Um, the, the comparison to Gerard at the moment is obvious, and I think it's merited, not only in kind of the late heroism in games, but the, the quality of the of the ball striking that we're seeing from him in those moments. I mean, that finish for the winner today was like what you'd expect from a world-class striker in terms of the way he kept yeah. the ball down and, and was so precise in terms of the placements of the strike as well. Um, so I, I I do think that you know is obviously that the biggest comparison that you could make, especially for him, you know, Gerard, this is idle, um, but it's a justified one. And Trent did a interview um, with Channel Four, I think, during one of the international breaks with England, and he said, you know, I'm I'm 10 and 25, I'm not a young player anymore, and, and that for me was quite sort of striking because because when you have an academy graduate like that, you always think of them as inherently young sometimes um, it's because you, you always associate them with that sort of breakthrough player. But Trent now has reached a stage of his career where he has to become sort of where you'd expect him to go up a level and where he does seem to be doing that because even though he isn't, you know, maybe on course this season to get 15 assists or whatever um, and kind of get set his own personal best in that tally, that this player that we're witnessing now just feels like he's just – that ever so ever so slight bit more polished, and you know, just has that slight edge and that slight maybe aura that to, to use that obviously quite a common word that the previous version didn't have, and you know, it's it is one of those where sometimes you yeah, have got to just say it's a privilege to watch it.
1: I mean, with with me and you, Dave, you probably watch the game sometimes, and the young lad comes on, you think, "Wow, I'm old," <laughs> but you mentioned that about Trent being twenty five. You know him realizing himself. He's not a young player anymore. There was a lad in Syria who made his debut for AC Milan the other week, 15 years old, 10 years younger than Trent Alexander Arnold. That's young. That is someone who's you know going to have a career, a long career ahead of him. And Trent Alexander Arnold still has best part of 15 years, I would imagine. But that is what young is these days. Hmm. I mean, like, say, for example, there's, there's players that have left City, I think, by no getting Sancho. They left City at the age of like 16, 17 because they were frustrated not getting opportunities. Bobby Duncan as well. See what, what's, what's happened to him because he wasn't getting opportunities yeah. at a young age. But now Trent is realizing that he's got to take that next step and be a senior player, even yeah. in his mid 20s. And he is doing that so, so well.
0: Yeah, it is he sort of He's always been someone who can produce match-winning moments, but he feels like someone now who, certainly in this past week, is like, I can take the game by the scruff of, my, the, scruff of the neck myself, really, and sort of dominate it. Um, and, you know, it's obviously interesting to make those comparisons to those younger players. I mean, what we're dealing with is, you know, a, a player who, I think in that Adidas advert, you know, when we kind of had that launch for the Predators, was talking about how Istanbul was his big... Um, big moment that he always thinks back to and obviously associating it with idolising Gerard. and now you've got players coming in who don't remember Istanbul or were born after Istanbul and that, things like oh, that. that so <laughs> but but that, that is, is the sort of generational shift that that is happening at the moment and um, I do think that this sort of evolution of Trent probably more so in terms of, obviously we're seeing it on the pitch in terms of position but it's the same sort of talent, but it's just a different character, to be honest. And it's really sort of, it's just so enjoyable to watch, and and it is sort of, it feels quite unique in terms of the, the journey that he's on compared to the other players in the Liverpool squad at the moment.
1: I worked with someone the other day who wasn't born for the 2002 World Cup. That <laughs> that was a reality check. Yeah.
0: yeah, there's um, it's one of those things where, like, you sort of. I remember uh, my uncle said recently that you kind of go through you go through your life and it's like um the the football players get older than you at a certain point the musicians the musicians get younger than you at a certain point and things like that and yeah. it's just like a, a certain box that that you check um but but certainly in the case of Trent, they'll probably be going through that same thing now where where he's sort of um has to take a moment to think, god i've actually been around for quite a while at this point um to kind of Move things on a little bit and look at somebody who, who struggled a bit today. I mean, we could easily be sitting here, Chris, if, if that goal doesn't go in from Trent at the end or, or Endo doesn't quite um, get that strike right to make it 3 3. Talking about how a couple of missed chances from Darwin Nunez cost Liverpool in this game. We've had similar conversations about him a few times where it's like it's at a tipping point in terms of you can't sort of make the same allowances for him all the time when he misses these opportunities. Is it is it now for you? Got to the point where, do you know what? No, like I don't have that sympathy for him anymore. He needs to start delivering. At this point, we paid so much money for him.
1: If it hasn't reached that stage, it's very, very, very close. I was having this discussion. I'm, I'm going to bring I'm going to bring Fantasy Premier League into this. So, going into this game week, Ollie Watkins had a flag, so he, he was he was doubtful for the game for Aston Villa away at Bournemouth. And I had three options. Bring in Alex Isak, bring in Darwin Nunez, or keep Ollie Watkins. In the end, they kept Ollie Watkins. It's a masterstroke because you got 11 points. The reason why, and I saw loads of people bringing in Nunez and saying XG minutes, explosiveness, everything. The reason why Nunez was probably my third choice out of those three is because with the other two, if you present them chances, I am quite confident they'll finish because they're, they're good finishers. Alex Isak, we you know, is is ex year Newcastle is phenomenal. Oli Watkins is just so consistent, and is just a bona fide Premier League goal scorer. We're a season and a half in, and we're still talking about the same things about Darwin Nunez. The one where he hits the bar, you might be able to make an excuse and say he's had a lung busting run. Maybe he's stretching a little bit the end, but still. The fact he hits the bar, it's kind of, just again, one of those moments where it's like, slap your, you know, slap your face, slap your foreheads, just in frustration. And then the, the air the air kick one, oh, again, just the lack. You, know, you thought he was more composed. And I, I've said previous podcasts, I thought he was growing in composure. But again, it's just so rash again today. Having said that, you've got to credit him for his part in the winner. They're keeping the ball alive after Gakpo's shot because it's a crucial part to get the ball back into the penalty area. But you are right because Liverpool now, we've said they should have two more points on the board at least because he should have had at least two goals away at Luton. Today could have been a lot more straightforward had he taken those chances. And again, it's all well and good. The crowd going Nunez, Nunez, Nunez every so often. But that isn't going to put the ball in the back of the net. That's something he needs to do. And I think Gakpo getting two against Lask, that's just a... And he made a big impact today as well, by the way, Cody Gakpo. That's just a little tap on the back to Nunez and say, look, I'm an international forward here who could quite easily come in. And part of me is actually given that it's it's a Wednesday to 12.30 Saturday turnaround. I'm are we expecting Cody Gapo to start away to Sheffield United? Are we expecting Darwin Nunez too? I think that's probably the main bone of contention for that game. So, again, I think we saw both sides of Nunez. But uh, I'm probably in the minority because I think a lot of people still love the guy. And I'm not saying I don't think he's a good player. Absolutely, I do. But again... His goals over the international break—they filled me with confidence that he had that composure. They were, they were three, they were three great goals for him in terms of the composure and like being in the right place at the right time. But again, are we talking about one step forward for Darwin Nunez and two steps back?
0: Well, we had a, um, a discussion about him after the game on this podcast against uh, Bournemouth when he scored that. Um, won the goal off the bench Um, and since then he hasn't scored for Liverpool, five appearances since then Um, zero goals Um, in fairness he has only started three of those games but plenty of missed chances still within that Um, like you mentioned he obviously had that good international break but the problem that I have is that when you have a striker who costs that much money it shouldn't feel like every single goal he scores is a big goal for his confidence that's a really good point. It should it should be run of the mill for him to be scoring goals, and I just feel like the next time he scores, can be like, okay, right, is that the one that kind of sets him on on the path and yeah. To be honest, he should be, you know, a decent way down that path by this point. And with reference to your point about Gakpo, I think that generally speaking, Liverpool have looked better when he's on the pitch in terms of you know creating chances, but. With, when Nunez is on the pitch, I should say. But I do think that the whole reason that you have this sort of attack and setup is that when Nunez is struggling and Gakpo obviously made that big impact, you know, obviously did, did all right today when he came on and, and scored twice against Lask, I think that you've got to kind of maintain the meritocracy there. So for me, I probably would start Gakpo against Sheffield United. Um, in midweek, and then you know if that doesn't go well, and Nunez comes on and makes an impact, then you swap it round again, Um next time. But I do think that his form is, has has tailed off in these last few games to Liverpool, and you've got to sort of play the players who are who are in form. And I, I know with Nunez, you've got to sort of protect protect them and stuff because if you take him out of the team now, maybe it sets them back even further. But there's a a point where Klopp can't fully think about that and. I think for us as Liverpool fans, we sort of, you know, I've probably been got this myself, you know, sometimes you get kind of carried away when he has this little run. Like he needs to prove that he can do it for months at a time, as yeah. opposed to just sort of, you know, little three game bursts really, before we can really start to feel um assured. And today the first one I think there's an element of being unlucky, but the second one, I mean, you can't you can't be fluffing your lines like that in this important situation. And um, you know, the reality is, I mean, I think Liverpool are a good enough attack and force not to be completely at the whim of sort of Nunez's finishing. But if today hadn't ended in a victory, then that would have been the looting game. And today, where Nunez's misses have been costly. And then at what point do you start to tally the points up? But yeah, I mean, hopefully the next time he plays, whether it's from the start or, or off the bench, he can um, start to regain his form anyway. The last thing we'll touch on before we finish, Chris, is uh, Keller um, started his second game in a row today, obviously with Alisson out injured. Claps um, hoping that he's going to be back for the United games. so that could still be another another three matches um, with Keller in goal. Makes an error um, for Fulham's second, and he's been subject to a lot of criticism on social media. A lot of people saying he's not good enough and things like that. I mean, what did you think of him today and what do you make of, of those comments?
1: First of all, he's a backup keeper for a reason. I mean, very rarely is the backup keeper better than first choice. So I think everyone really should kind of anticipate a drop in quality in the goalkeeping in the next few days in various aspects because Alison Beck is the best in the world. So that's nothing against Quibi and Kelleher. The first goal. It can happen. It's at him very quick. It's a good close-range finish from from Wilson. The second one really was quite poor. Um, it goes down far too early. And again, I don't really know what he's doing by swinging his leg at it. The third one, far post-header. But I'd need to go and have a look at myself. Sorry, not myself. I'd need to have a go look for myself in terms of the uh, the social media criticism. Because i I I'm, I'd want to see what people are criticising him for specifically. What Wilson will say with Ian Kelleher, and I've said this in the week, and I'll make no hiding of this opinion: I think he'd start for over ten teams in the Premier League. I think he is that good of a goalkeeper, and he's coming in out of the cold. Unexpectedly, um, I know you could say, "Look, as a backup keeper, you sh- you've got to be prepared for any point when a goalkeeper can go down." Because Allison hasn't hasn't been perfect injury wise in the past. But, Quivin Callis has done really well for Liverpool whenever he's played. And I've got no doubt that if he was first choice out of the club, he'd be putting in fantastic performances week in, week out. I think, when you are given the criticism as well, normally, I believe criticism is okay if people have an alternative. If people want to see Adrian in goal, okay, be my guest. But, I'm not going to join them on that opinion. So, for the next few games, it will be Kelleher in goal. I'm fine with that. Jurgen Klopp trusts him, which means I trust him. And it wasn't his finest day today. Not for one second am I saying that it was. But he will have better days in Liverpool shirt going forward. And I still think he's a very, very good goalkeeper. Still, the frustration for him is, look, Allison is still quite young for a goalkeeper, isn't he, really? Um, and that, that's just the way that it is. And I do think Kelleher probably won't be at Liverpool for too much longer. But people have to remember, he is good. One bad day doesn't make you a horrendous goalkeeper. And I'm backing him to put it right against Sheffield United Crystal Palace.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, teams he'd start for in the Premier League. And not to be in Liverpool much longer. You know, obviously, from the Liverpool standpoint, it's just about getting through this period and obviously, you know, hoping that he can do a decent job in Allison's stead. But from his individual standpoint, he's basically in the shot window now. You know, this is the period that could dictate whether he's getting offers from the Premier League or the Championship next season, when there is probably bound to be interest. Today was probably an offers from the Championship kind of day for him. The game against Lask a few days ago was probably off us from the Premier League kind of day. Um, I don't think he's having his best season. He's been at Liverpool a while now. I've seen him play better when he's come in than he has this year. Um, So maybe there's an element of form in there. We've probably seen more Keller in terms of, obviously, the Europa League um, being a factor this time around. Um, In fairness, Liverpool's goalkeeper would normally be more protected than he was today. No one really expected Liverpool to have that many defensive issues against Fulham. But equally, Keller, and the difference between him and Alisson, which you allude to there, Chris, is Alisson bails Liverpool out. Keller can't be relied upon to do that. So him being in goal naturally puts more onus on the players in front of him to not basically think, oh, we've got Alisson in goal. Um, and yeah. We'll be all right type thing.
1: Yeah, I've got the league table up in front of me. So I'm just thinking about about backup keepers off the top of my head. So obviously Arsenal, Ramsdale, fair enough, he'd start for a lot of Premier League teams. City, Ortega. I mean he was first choice in the Bundesliga. Probably would start for a fair few Premier League teams. But then you're looking at other backup goalkeepers in the league. Maybe Bayendeer at United. Mind you, he might be starting for United before too long. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um Brighton, obviously Verbrugge, well Vebrugge and the Steel. we have no idea who's back up there really, yeah. the way Zerbi goes. Um, Babianski could still do a job, but then you're looking down the league and you're thinking, for, for, for the other clubs, Say, if worst came to the worst, which set of fans would be really happy with their second choice starting in an important game? Yeah. And I really don't think there's many sets of fans that are in a better position than the Liverpool fans with regards to that situation. So, yeah, again, I'm not saying it was his best day, but he is still a good goalkeeper in my eyes and I don't know how many better second choices there are out there.
0: Yeah, my worry today was that he was going to have one of those days that we've seen from previous with goalkeepers, where something goes wrong and then he's... Sort of. I mean, Allison has them as well. To be fair, sometimes when you know maybe he yeah. messes up a kick early on, and then he's sort of a bit erratic with it for the rest of the game. It's a yeah, quite it natural people. thing. Yeah. Well, I, I thought he was Both gonna. Faith, yeah. I, I thought he was gonna struggle. Sort of really, really struggle in second half. I think he sort of steadied it a little bit in that period. Um, and and kind of like you, Chris. You know, I still have a lot of faith in Calera. I still rate him very highly. I think a lot of the criticism I've seen today on Twitter has been way over the top and I'm backing him to prove in the next couple of games that he is a very solid number two option for Liverpool but I think that he, the onus is on him to kind of remind people of that now because today is first Premier League start of the season um, it was a bit of an error stream performance from him you would have to say um, but he will be in goal again at Bramall Lane on Wednesday um, and we won't unfortunately have a podcast um, for that one and um, because I'm away during the week, but we will be back um, after the game against Crystal Palace, which is obviously the early kickoff on Saturday. So make sure you join us for that. Um, and we will also obviously have news by then on what's happened with Joel Matip, something we haven't mentioned today. Um, Klopp suggesting that injury could be quite serious. So interesting to see what happens in terms of Liverpool centre back ranks and whether that leads to anything happening in January. But all that is, of course, to come in the future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a five star review. And remember to follow the podcast and press the notification button as well. And we will see you, like I said, next weekend rather than a midweek for our next episode. But until then, take care.